This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. This week's guest is John Keeling, Executive Vice President and CEO of the National Potato Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with the National Potato Council's John Keeling next. In rural America, there are three things that never change. The land, the determination of the families that farm it, and the loyalty of their co-ops, which provide the markets, inputs, and agronomic expertise farmers and ranchers need to stay profitable. CHS, the nation's leading cooperative, is proud to connect member cooperatives and producers to the value of an energy, grains, and food company they own. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Domestic and global consumers rejected the first varieties of genetically modified new leaf potatoes nearly 15 years ago. John Keeling with the National Potato Council says consumers didn't accept early varieties with herbicide tolerance and insect resistance, but now appear to embrace a gene-edited potato variety with traits they can use. In the last year, the J.R. Simplot company is introducing what they call the innate potato, and that's a genetically modified potato. But the focus there has not been on production traits. It's been more on consumer-oriented traits, uh, a non-bruising trait, that sort of thing. So that's what they have focused on. We have GMO potatoes in the marketplace today in the fresh market, and we expect those to to continue and and the acreage likely to increase. What is interesting is that the first phase of GM in potatoes was more of genetic modification, but the second with the N8 is more of gene editing. It basically is using potato genes within potatoes. Simplot believes in the consumer information seems to indicate that consumers find a greater comfort level with that approach in some ways. Uh, so what remains to be seen, I mean, as, as all of us know, if it has to do with GMO, if it's related to GMO, it doesn't happen quietly typically in the marketplace. And so um, there's a, obviously a lot of discussion around that, and uh, potatoes will be at the forefront. I mean, we are, we're sort of more food than corn or wheat or something where it's more indirectly food. I mean, this is a, a vegetable that's put on people's plate. So we think that people that people will be paying attention to it. But... Um, we think that the technology offers uh, some, some real opportunities uh, to provide some additional things to consumers that will be valuable to them. There is a sustainability message there, and there is also yep. a, a humanitarian message in the fact that the innate potato offers you some advantages and consumers' advantages that your industry hasn't seen before. No, that's absolutely true. The the non-bruise trait is significant. From a sustainability point of view, you're looking at a trait that would make the potato very, very resistant to most of the common types of late blight, which would reduce reduce pesticide use. So there's a lot of things going on there that are a little bit different than the traditional than the traditional production traits. There is now a national biotech disclosure labeling law. And the crux of that law is now offered at the Department of Agriculture to write the regulations. What do you expect from that law? How does it affect your industry? How does it affect your growers? Um, well, we'll be watching it that closely. Uh, this bill is certainly not what we would have done ourselves. Uh, we had significant concerns and continue to have significant concerns about 
labeling food products when the labeling is not related to a consumer safety or health concern. And in the case of these of the innate potato, particularly where all of the evaluations done by USDA and FDA and then currently being done on the late black product by EPA have indicated to date, and we would believe will indicate in the future, that those products are safe for consumption and provide no risk to the environment or to the public. So we have serious concerns about labeling when there is not a health or safety concern. But having said that, we felt like that the detriment that was going to occur to the food industry in its entirety from a piecemeal approach to labeling where we had potentially a 50-state patchwork of, of labels would have been very, very detrimental to consumers and to agriculture in terms of the confusion that would have been provided and the costs that would have been driven into the system. So in the end, we supported the, the, the labeling bill as it came out of the Senate because we felt like that it needed to be done to avoid that 50-state patchwork. Um, but we continue to have concerns about, from a really full philosophical point of view and from an underlying point of view that uh, this is not the direction that we we need to go and that, in fact, it could have some manner in which it stifles the, the development of the technology. Now, having said that, the bill does some good things. There's a good definition of biotech in there for the purpose of labeling, and it does give food manufacturers some options in choosing how they make that information available to consumers. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's not, this is not, this is sort of the pro- product of the uh, legislative process sometimes. Uh, it's not always, the bills are not everything and the laws are not everything that you would, you would want, but in the end you have to, you have to move forward. Are you comfortable with the Department of Agriculture writing the regulations to implement the law? One's never comfortable with anybody writing regulations because we've seen we've so many ex- examples where we see that it's resulted in regulatory overreach. I will say that in the time I've been in Washington, which, as you know, has been a while, the bills tend to be a little bit more skeletal than they were, you know, 25 years ago. The process is more difficult now. And so what we see is that more of it's getting done through the regulatory uh, portion. Now, that's a good thing because there's notice and comment and everybody has a chance to weigh in. Um, but, um, you know, there's always, there's always things that can happen through the regulatory process that can be bad. But I think that certainly, um, agriculture and the Department of Agricultural, agriculture generally, uh, should understand and be more responsive to, uh, the value of these technologies and how we need to craft a structure for regulating them that, and the labeling around them that, uh, isn't detrimental to the overall adoption of, of the technology. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, we'll do our best to work with the USDA and we're confident that they'll, they have the science, they have the understanding to, to get it right. Um, but, you know, again, that's why they do the process and there'll be plenty of, comp- plenty of people commenting. As you have a raw product, which is a live product, and you'll also have, uh, potatoes as a part of other foods, you have a labeling law that um, that affects you a couple of different ways. Do you have particular concerns or or are there red flags that you'll be watching for from the Department of Agriculture as it pertains to the raw product or processed foods? Well, I think on the raw product it'll be interesting to see exactly how you how you label say bulk bulk potatoes and that sort of thing. So there's some just logistical things I think that will will be interesting. Um on the, I thought that they, what they did in the bill on the 
the the side where you were talking about ingredients essentially where you were a part of a of a overall meal in terms of looking at the predominant agreement uh ingredient was about the way you had to look at it um it is a little bit of a quandary because you you're going to have situations where something will get labeled uh, because it's the the major ingredient, and and so again, you're you're back to that whole we're labeling these things not based on what their uh, health and safety uh, situation is, but just how they were produced, and it's so it's problematic. But I think they they did about what they had to do in the bill to get that to get that uh, ingredient side of it uh, as close to right as possible. What are the chances that this winds up at a courtroom or that Congress has to revisit this issue again? Well, in the world we live in today, um, things ending up in the courtroom is probably a pretty good chance some piece of this does. I mean, there's still people that have concerns about whether the government should be able to compel you to speak in a way about your product where there's no nexus to the government safeguarding health and, and safety. So you may well see a challenge in that area. The odds of Congress revisiting it, they had uh, enough trouble digesting this thing the first time i can't imagine they're going back for dessert 2016 is an even numbered year it is an election year john it seems that trade has become one of the elements of debate i would just ask from from your perspective how important is global trade and how important is the trans-pacific partnership to potato growers well, TPP is important to us. We export about 20% of the potatoes we grow in this country, some in the form of French fries and others in the form of fresh potatoes. And so lowering tariffs in some of those Asian markets is really important to us in terms of being able to be competitive with our European and Australian competition. So it's a big deal to us. I think that the negative tone around trade in this election from both sides of the aisle is incredibly uh frustrating, frightening, and, and will be challenging for us for a long time. Um, I, I think most of us in agriculture understand the value of trade and what trade has done for U.S. agriculture and how we've been able to maintain a trade surplus uh, when, when, when many other industries have not been able to do that. And a lot of that's happened because we've been able to reduce barriers to our exports. So to abandon that sort of philosophy of we can make progress by through trade uh, is frightening. Now, do we need to cut the best deals we can cut? Yes, we always do. Uh, but trade deals are always never perfect. That's why we have a process like Trade Promotion Authority where they can be considered an up or down vote because it's still always, if you a bill, anything as big as a, a, a big trade bill like TPP, you're going to find something in there that you don't like. I think that for most Americans, certainly those in agriculture, that our position in the world, we see ourselves as leaders in the world. We see ourselves as key players in the world. Uh, we see ourselves as people who are at the table when important world decisions are made and when the strategies for future interaction between countries are developed. And for us to step away from a commitment to trade, which is appears what we're doing on both both sides of the of the aisle is really upsetting or frightening. I think that it's about who we are in the world. I think we are people who are players and participants in the world, not people who draw back and don't engage. And so I, I think to me it's been very interesting. It will be an interesting discussion as we go forward. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine that we will be abandoning sort of what has been 
since the World War II has been a, a continued effort to be involved in the economic fabric of the world in a very, very meaningful way, and one that was had us as a player in that world, not as somebody who was really sort of starting to retreat behind in their borders. I would say to politics at the risk of getting into it, I think that this election obviously has been different than anything any one of us have seen uh, in our lifetimes, both in terms of tone and tenor and and then I think also the scope of the issues that are out there are significant and, and so people's levels of concern or uh, desire for a, for a positive solutions are, are very, very high. In the House, Chairman Conaway of the Agriculture Committee has done some work in advance of developing a new farm bill. Uh, the GOP platform would split food and split nutrition. John, you have worked on a number of farm bills in your tenure in Washington. What are your thoughts of, of taking the two apart? Well, I would say two things. One is we never encountered a situation like we did with the last farm bill where it was necessary to split the bills in, in half, essentially. They got put back together in the end, but it was to, to get that one bill out of the House bill out, it was necessary to do that. So we've never seen that situation before. So I, like a lot of others who've been here a while, this is a, my sixth or seventh farm bill, and the formula that's always gotten that done in the past has been a farm bill that was both food and nutrition programs and commodity programs together. So that's certainly what I know and understand as a successful formula. I guess I would say I would hope that we're able to revive that formula again. I think that it is important both to through the nutrition side of things as well as the agricultural side that our food policy and our farm policy have a linkage and, and have a relationship to the other that's meaningful. Um, I think November will have a big impact on that decision. Obviously, when we look at spending in a farm bill, nutrition encompasses most of the dollars. Uh, a balance of the dollars toward crops go toward major crops. But in development of the last farm bill, you had a specialty crop farm bill alliance. Are there things in particular that as a new bill uh, is debated that, that you would want specialty growers, potato growers, to have opportunity that maybe you haven't had in the past? We've been very active working with other fruit and vegetable producers to try to expand the support that the, our industries receive through the Farm Bill, um, not in terms of direct payments or anything like that, or but in terms of support for research, support for infrastructure, support for additional research in terms of pest management. Um, and I will say this is a little bit of a commercial for the direction we've gone. And granted, our portion of the, the special portion of the farm bill is still very, very small. But um, we we do believe that the type of programs that we're looking at for special crops, where the where the federal government is helping and supporting research and helping and supporting management of pests and helping support promotion of trade, are really policies that will have credibility over time. And we will have the ability to generate support for those programs over time because I think they will make sense to those people in the general public who want to to support agriculture but may have concerns about directly supporting growers. Uh, and I think you've seen the, what direction the bill has gone toward crop insurance as opposed to away from direct payments. So, you know, those are the kind of things we will continue to pursue. We've gotten a research program for specialty crops that is now funded at over $50 million a year, which is not a lot of money by some standards, but uh, has helped dramatically in some of the issues that the specialty crop industry has had to deal with. So those are the kind of things that we'll, we will continue we will continue to look at. The potato industry was caught in debate over school meals. 
It's been caught in debate about regulations under the Supplemental Attrition Assistance Program. Are, is this debate still ongoing, or do you anticipate future issues you're going to have to deal with? Well, yeah, we were also on, in the crosshairs on the WIC program when where women, infants, and children in, involved in that program were not allowed to uh, use their WIC vouchers to purchase potatoes. The only vegetable that they weren't, the only fruit or vegetable of any kind in the produce section they were not allowed to buy. I would hope that through the school lunch fight where we were able to bring to the table some facts about potatoes that were really not being paid attention to, both on a nutrition side and then just on a, what the consumption patterns were. You know, we had a, during the school lunch fight, you thought that the general sentiment was that, you know, Every, every potato served in the schools was a uh, French fry, and it just was not the case. And it was just not the case that even the French fries served in schools were, ba- were, were largely baked French fries, not not deep-fried fries. And we have found out that only about 8% of the schools in this country still had deep-fat fryers. So so there was a lack of knowledge about both the nutrition of potatoes. So the whole time that the, the, the WIC fight was going on, the school lunch program was going on, the government was, the recommendations were that we needed to consume more of four core nutrients and potassium and fiber were two of those core nutrients and potatoes were rich in those. So at the same time, we were telling the WIC mothers you couldn't have potatoes and we were telling the school children that they shouldn't have access to potatoes. We, our, our national nutrition policy was based on increasing the consumption of two things that potatoes delivered a significant amounts of. So I think hopefully those lessons in nutrition and people's awareness of those have changed people's thought process. I mean, all we've ever argued for potatoes is that for all federal programs, you should look and decide what needs of the target audience are in terms of nutrition, and then you should look at all those commodities that are able to supply that nutrition that we decide that they need uh, based on science, and then you should include, and as available to them, those fruits and vegetables that supply those nutrients. And if it's a fruit and vegetable that doesn't supply those nutrients, then it's a reasonable decision not to have it there. That just wasn't the case with potatoes. We would just like to see them return science to the nutrition decision-making so that uh, we get decisions based on science. And this is the same whether it's the dietary guidelines where we looked at efforts to expand the dietary guidelines to include sustainability and other concepts that didn't have anything to do with, with nutrition. So we feel like if you stick with science as your and dietary needs of the target audience as your decision criteria, then all these quote-unquote political fights about whether a particular commodity should or could be in uh, will go away because the decision will be made on the nutritional science of the commodity and the nutritional needs of the target group. So we feel like it's a simple problem. We're willing to live with that solution if that includes potatoes or it doesn't depending on the needs of the individuals or the nutritional deliverables of the potato. Well, John Keeling with the National Potato Council, we certainly want to thank you for spending time with us here on Open Mic. John, we call the program Open Mic, and sir, you have an open forum. Um, I do think that in agriculture, you know, it, everybody says it, but there's fewer and fewer of people involved in agriculture every every day. We do better and better in terms of producing things, and um, the the need for involvement uh, from agriculture in both the political process, the regulatory process, uh, is higher than it's than it's ever been. I think folks should. should double down on what they're doing, whether they are a Farm Bureau member or a Potato Council member or NCBA or 
whoever their appropriate organization is and and be involved and understand what the issues are and be ready to weigh in when it when time comes because I think it it's critically important to the continued success of agriculture as we sort of become smaller and smaller. And if you look at what's happening in Congress, we have less and less members in Congress who are focused on agriculture. And we have less and less districts where agriculture is uh, the dominant uh, economic factor in that district. So there's fewer of us. We need to make our voices continue to be heard. Our thanks to John Keeling, Executive Vice President and CEO of the National Potato Council. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.